pray. God, by your grace and your mercy, we are here today. We thank you for a new year. We thank you for being with one another. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. God, I thank you not only for those who are gathered here physically, but I thank you for those who have joined us via live stream, whether they join us right now in the moment or whether they will view this worship experience later in their day. I thank you, God, for technology. And I thank you for the gift of your spirit that can move on our being through technology or whether we are here in the flesh. And I ask God that you would be with us in this moment. Walk up and down the aisles of our heart. Touch us. Touch us, God. Give us what it is that you desire for our lives. Motivate us to do your good in this world and anoint us. Speak to our hearts this morning, God. Use me, dear God, as your vessel. Help me, God, to say that which will be meaningful in the lives of this, thy people. For this is my prayer in thy son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my God, so much has happened over this week. And that might be an understatement. But I want to take us back uh, as we begin our sermon to 1968. Uh, many of you will know that in 1968, our nation was experiencing a new sort of paradigm for living. We were moving out of the Jim Crow era and African Americans and people of color and poor people were demanding human rights. In 1968, the, Reverend, the late Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King critiqued American capitalism when he said, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged free uh, enterprise capitalism for the poor. That is to say that King meant that the very idea that we ought to be self-sufficient is expected of the poor, while so many, have, so many others have gotten their riches from federal subsidies and off of the backs of unpaid and underpaid laborers. It's interesting, my friends, that many Americans continue to think of themselves, even describe themselves as self-sufficient, as needing very little support outside of their own abilities to sort of pull themselves up, they say, by their own bootstraps. The human condition, that is, uh, when we take time to try to figure out who we are, and that's what we're concentrating on this month, trying to figure out who we are. The human condition often leans towards a kind of childish idealism about our capacity to handle life. Now, for those of you who are parenting, you probably experience this kind of childish idealism in your three-year-old's three insistence that I can do it all by myself. I remember those days. 
I can do it all by myself. Doesn't matter that they walk out the, the house looking like who did it to who or what for whatever reason. They dressed themselves and they were stubborn in that insistence about their capacity to do and to handle life on their own three-year-old's terms. And sometimes they did handle life on their own terms, even to the lament of their own parents. We have been brought into that crippling view of rugged individualism, a kind of arrogant, determined self-sufficiency. At least that was the case until COVID-19. The pandemic, for those who are paying attention, has exposed rugged idealism, individualism, as a lie from the pit of white supremacist ideology. When we were forced to shut down our nation, indeed our world, beginning in March 2020, and I remember the exact date that my office closed down, Friday, March the 13th, 2020. Many of us at that time looked around and we understood with deep clarity just how dependent we are on the gifts, on the skills, and the ministry of presence of others, of our friends, our colleagues, our family, and yes, also to those strangers in their capacity as essential workers. We really, really got familiar with the term essential workers and what, what great things essential workers do in our world and how they help us to make it from day to day. Some during uh, the early months of the pandemic, turn to social bubbles. Maybe some of you established social bubbles. These were small groups of friends and family members that you could depend upon to kind of stay isolated enough to avoid the virus. Cities, even here in Chicago, shut down in entire streets that we shut down entire streets that surrounded uh, restaurants so that small groups could enjoy outside social gatherings because we experience a formidable truth. And that truth is that who we are as human beings is dependent on who we are in relationship with one another. Many of us learned during those days that taking care of ourselves meant taking care of one another and relying upon the skills and the gifts and the techniques of other folks. But and still, there were others who could not and would not be convinced that the best course of action was not self-reliance, was not rugged individualism, was not the freedom to do as you will. They understood that their greatest gift was their capacity to say no to science, no to medical advice, no to the vaccine, and no to any laws that they felt violated their freedoms. For them, the highest gift was and is their individual freedoms, no matter the possible dangers of others, uh, uh, of their actions to other persons, and even to themselves. 
And so with that, that history in mind today, my friends, I've been really struggling with the scripture for today. Uh, the first thing that I've been wondering about is just how do I, as a preacher, how do we, as people of God, how do we convince the church of Jesus Christ with all of our individuality, with all of our diversity, with all of our freedoms, that the best way to serve Christ is not addressing the question about any individual gifts, as you hear in the text. It is not by an over-concern, my friends, that who we are as human beings is what we can do or what lofty gifts we alone exhibit. As I look at the text for today, I am reminded that this matter of divine gifts has for so long been the issue that Christians have used to harm one another rather than bless one another. My gifts, what God has given me, what I can do, what I alone can do. And you know, I sort of, I sort of get this because it's still, it's, it's happening today. It's, it's that, what I like to call that like button syndrome. We are bombarded with images, with videos, with postings of people who seem addicted to viral attention. My God, all the exhibition that goes on on social media, you know, and all the telling of folks' business led one group to say, keep your business off Facebook. It's a whole business, you know. Adults, and adults use their children and pets, it's a whole thing, the very talented, the very gifted. And so looking at all of this, it's easy to start wondering, to start thinking things like, okay, well, why can't I sing like that? My God, if I could sing like some folk, I don't know that I would be a preacher today. <laughs> you know? Or, or why can't I play like that? Why can't I play like like John, why can't I play like others? Why can't I play like Mick? Why can't I dance like that? What's that cuff dance that folk are doing? Why can't I do that cuff dance? You know, can, can I get that rhythm together? Why aren't my jokes funny like that? Why do my jokes just fall flat all the time? Why can't I, and why can't I cook like that? My God, if I could cook some of the things that I've watched people cook on social media. Why can't I do this or why can't I? Why didn't God gift me to do that? And just what is the meaning of my life? When I look around and I look at the giftedness of so many folk, why am I here? What is the meaning of my life? Why am I, what am I supposed to be doing in this world? When Paul, the Apostle Paul, friends, from Ephesus, penned his letter to the church in Corinth. He was writing to a church that had been blessed with diversity of gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He was writing to a group of people who had been anointed. The Holy Spirit had anointed them to do particular thing, 
things, gifts of wisdom, gifts of um, knowledge, gifts of faith, gifts of healing, gifts, gifts of prophecy and discernment and speaking in tongues. And the church looked around at these gifts and some folk in the church began to say, well, you know, that's the best gift there, that, that's speaking in tongues. That, that's, that's something to be had, you know. Oh, that's a real neat gift right there. That, that, that healing, that's, that's the one I want. You know, that, that's better than all the others. This is the body of Jesus Christ thinking this way. Powerful deeds were being done in that church. Yet, my friends, you will misread the text if you interpret these gifts as being owned, which is what we tempt to do, by any one human being or being for the benefit of only one human being. If you read the text like that, you are misreading the text. For while the church was feuding among themselves about the gifts of the Spirit, while the people of the church were beginning to understand their worthiness, their sense of self-esteem based on an assumed hierarchy of gifts, the Apostle Paul steps in and puts pen to paper in order to make it plain that who we are in the eyes of God is not attached to what we do, my friends, but who we are in the eyes of God, Urban Village, is based upon who we be. It's not what we do, but it's who we are in the eyes of God. Honey, the gifts and the talents, they've always belonged to God. They don't belong to you. You can't stick your chest out and say, you know, you know, my gift is the gift of prophecy. No, God has anointed you. That's God's gift, and God has anointed you for a specific purpose, for a specific time. Don't get it twisted. Who are we? We are not the gifts, my friends. We are the vessels of the love and the blessings of God. Let me repeat that. We are not the gifts. We are the vessels. We're the conduits of the love and the blessings of God. Your very life, my friends, is a sign of the extreme and the powerful love of God. Not that we love God first, the scripture says, but that God, what, first loved us. Hallelujah. It's not what you do, but it's who you be. It's who you are in the eyes of God. In the Pentecostal church of my youth, we used to sing, if, you, if you're from the Pentecostal church, you'll get where I'm going with this. In the Pentecostal church of my youth, we used to sing a lot of congregational songs. And what I liked about congregational songs is that the lyrics were easy to catch on to. It was, it was really very repetitive. And, and, and this one song in particular was a favorite of mine. And it was a favorite of mine because as a young person, I was still trying to figure out who I was in the world, 
and what difference I could make in the church. And maybe some of you are like that even to this day. You're trying to figure out who you are and what difference you can make in the Church of Christ. And the singing of this song often occurred during testimony service. Now, testimony service was a whole thing, y'all. Testimony service in the Pentecostal church was a whole thing, and it was a long portion of church. And it always, everybody's testimony generally always began the same way. I rise today giving thanks to God, respect to the past of the church. I thank the Lord for my life, my health, and my strength, the activities of my limbs and my organs. I thank the Lord for being saved, for being sanctified, for being filled with the Holy Ghost. I thank God for one more day in the land of the living. It generally, the, the testimonies generally began that way. And occasionally someone would get up after that that beginning or even before that, and they would begin a song that began like this. My body belongs to God. My body, and then the congregation, would, as a congregational song is, would sing, belongs to God. My body belongs to God. My body belongs to God. My body belongs to God. And it ended up, my whole body belongs to God. Then they would switch it up. My feet belong to God. My feet belong to God. My feet belong to God. My whole body belongs to God. And somewhere in there, they would switch it up to a, a phrase that you would hear a slight stutter. They would go something like this. My wallet belongs to God. You hear that stutter, yeah. you know. You know, my wallet belongs to And so they switch it up outside of who they were necessarily, but a kind of materialism. And, and they would go from my wallet to my house, to my car and so forth and so on until the point was clear for all to witness. And that point was this, everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we could ever hope for, everything that we could ever think that we could achieve on our own, guess what? It all belongs to God, my friends. Every bit of it belongs to God. It's not ours. It's not ours to boast about. It's not ours to be concerned about. It's not ours to fall out about. And contrary to popular interpretation of the lyrics of the song that was sung this morning, what God has for you is indeed for you. But it is for you to share with others. What God has for you. I hear people singing that, and they sing it very proudly. What God has for me, it is for me. Yes, my loves, it is for you, but it is not for you and you alone. It is for you to share with others. According to Paul, in the text that we read today, what God has for you is to be used for the common good. Every good gift of God comes from above and is endowed upon us through the Holy Spirit for one purpose, for the common good. 
for the edification of the church, for the ministry of Jesus Christ, for the common good, for the world in which we live. It's not for you to hoard to yourself. When the praise team gets up to sing, they realize that God has given them gifts, not just for them, but for you and for others. When Lenitra is working with the children, it's not just for her benefit or the benefit of the parents and the children, but for the communities that these children's lives will touch. Each of us receives God's gifts not for ourselves alone, but as vessels, as vessels of Jesus Christ. This leads me to my last point. Let's be more open as we think about who am I? Why am I here in this world? What is, what is this that God is doing in my life? Then I, I, I encourage you, be more open to being used by God as a conduit of God's blessings. More so than questioning if God can use us, because let me just squash that right now. God can use you, and God is using you in ways that you, in, in ways that we sometimes seem to forget because we're looking for the high things. We're looking for the lofty things. Some of you, for some of you, God is using you as a gift of presence in the lives of lonely people. That's a gift to be able to journey with people. For some of you, God is using you in a ministry of just being able to interpret, to interpret what is going on in the world. For some of you, it's teaching. For, for some of you, it is in fact, it is in fact, the gift of giving, the gift of healing, and all of these things, all of these things. LV, when you, when you walk, not just your singing LV, but when you walk around the church with all that kind of joy, that's a gift. Your joy, hallelujah, touches somebody else. You don't know who will walk in the church who is down and out and depressed that day, and God uses you to lift somebody up. For some of you, it's the gift of hospitality. You write little notes through the week. How you doing? I've been missing you. I hope, I hope to see you soon. Or you're at the, at the front of the church just greeting people when they come in and you're directing them. These are precious gifts. These are amazing gifts. It's not just the gift of preaching. It's who you are, and it's how God is using you in the moment. There are no insignificant human beings, and there are no insignificant gifts. We are all somebody. We are all important. We are all treasured vessels in the eyes of God. And your specialness is not just for you as an individual, my friends. 
Your specialness is not just for this church. Your specialness, specialness, Hyde Park Woodlawn Urban Village Church is not just for Sunday morning. I don't know how much more I can accent this point. But what you have, what God has blessed you, how God has gifted you, it's not just yours. Somebody is waiting for you to use your special gift. And it may be, it will likely be this day. Who are we? We're members of the body of Christ, vessels gifted by God, people who God loves and God desires to use. Not just for you, but for the common good. May it be so. May it be so. Amen. Right now, I want to give us an opportunity, both those who are live stream and those who are here, I want to give you an opportunity to uh, sow into this ministry with your generous offering as I prepare the Eucharist for us today. Um, I will talk just a little bit after the service about um, uh, the generosity that builds this community and how you might use your gifts and your talents uh, to help uh, nurture and grow this community. Because how many of you believe in urban village? I, I, you know, I believe this church has something to offer. And so I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm just blown away by the possibilities, and I'm going to keep, keep working at it. So um, if you'll prepare your hearts and minds for the Eucharist, and at the same time, if you will also, uh, if you've not already done so, please uh, give in the offering. And you can do that online um, while I prepare the, the communion.